One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And it feels good to be here today. I know. I just woke up in the best mood and ready to go. We had a really fun Thanksgiving, which is my least favorite holiday. And it was actually extremely fun. It really was. It really, really was. And it felt like a little vacation. Yeah. So I'm refreshed. I'm ready to tell you guys something really horrible. Tell me everything. This was written by our dear Deli Mazingo, and this is the Copeland Killings. I'm going to start calling her Delaware. I've decided when she's in trouble. When you texted Delaware Mozingo the other day, I I fell out a little bit. It's very funny. Her name is not Delaware, but it is now Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) So... On August 20th, 1989, an anonymous call came into the Nebraska Crime Stoppers from a man claiming he had information on a fraud scheme. The caller said he had just recently moved to the area from Missouri and had been working as a farmhand on a farm in Mooresville, Missouri. He said the farm was owned by an elderly couple named Ray and Faye Copeland and said that after working on the farm for two weeks, he realized that the couple was using him to commit fraud. Hmm. He had been tasked with going to livestock auctions and paying with bad checks. To make matters worse, not only had the caller been assigned to commit check fraud, he said he had narrowly escaped death. Well, He claimed that when he caught on to their scheme, 74-year-old Ray Copeland tried to kill him. For whatever reason, though, Ray changed his mind and the caller was able to flee the state. Huh. He hinted to Crime Stoppers that he thought that the Copelands had a history of hiring drifters and may have killed some of them. The police in Nebraska gave this information to Missouri author- authorities. God damn it. <laughs> authorities. Authorities. The police in Nebraska gave this information to Missouri author- authorities. <laughs> Missouri authorities. No, it's Missouri authorities. I'm thir- Missouri authorities. <laughs> you guys. They'll help us. I'm just going to leave it. (laughs) Nebraska authorities were skeptical of the call, but the Missouri officers took it very seriously. Ray Copeland had an extensive record with previous charges for forgery and cattle theft. 
Ray had first come across law enforcement's radar in 1986 for a similar crime. What year are we in now? 89. Okay, so not not a huge span of time. No. A livestock auction company called the sheriff's department after a man named Dennis Murphy wrote a bad check for $6,000 worth of cattle. Maybe. Which is the equivalent of $2.5 million today. <laughs> right. No one at the auction recognized the man, but everyone said that he was working with Ray Copeland. They said Ray helped him load the cattle and they left together after the fact. But when the sheriff's department followed up with Ray, he told them that he'd been renting his pasture to Dennis Murphy and allowed him to keep his cows there. Ray told authorities that Dennis had written him a bad check, too, and he hadn't seen or heard from him since. Just a month later, though, the sheriff's office got another call. It was an identical story. Mm. A man that no one recognized attended a cattle auction with Ray, wrote a bad check for $6,000, left with Ray, and was never seen again. This time, the authorities were very suspicious of Ray Copeland, but they had no evidence that he was directly involved with the fraud. Interesting. The sheriff got the arrest records of the two farmhands Ray hired and saw that they were often in and out of jail for petty crimes. He knew that the men would be arrested again soon enough, and he'd be able to get to the bottom of what was happening at the Copeland farm. But to the sheriff's surprise, the men weren't arrested again, and things went quiet for about two years. Then again in 1988, the sheriff learned of three more men who had passed bad checks while working on Ray's farm. But once again, it, seems, it seemed as though the men had skipped town. Investigators spoke with Ray's neighbors, but they didn't seem to know much aside from the fact that Ray hired men from the local mission. It was clear to police that something was amiss, but they didn't have any solid evidence to charge the Copelands, and so had to wait for something more substantial to happen. <laughs> the next time they heard anything about the Copelands was a year later when the anonymous call came in. The detective started looking into the caller's claims and gathering evidence, and two weeks later the caller was identified. A man named Jack McCormick had been picked up by authorities in Oregon while sleeping on the side of the highway and when they ran his information through their database, they found an outstanding warrant for passing a bad check in Missouri. Jack was extradited back to Missouri, where he admitted to police that he'd placed the anonymous phone call. He told them that he had met Ray Copeland while he was staying at a shelter, and Ray hired him to work on the farm and offered him room and offered him a room in their home. Ray had claimed he was hard of hearing and needed help with bidding on cattle at auctions. And after moving in, Jack said that the Copelands opened a bank account for him so that he could attend livestock auctions and buy their cattle when necessary. The Copelands would deposit money into the account to be used at the auctions and he'd attend the auctions for them. Hmm. That's a very clever I don't know if yes. clever is the word I want to use but it's diabolical yeah yes. just so that's just incredibly smart and incredibly awful yeah. cruel and awful to yeah. prey on it's it's like men on down and out on their mm -hmm. luck it's like serial killers who prey on sex workers sex workers yeah. yeah Jack began attending the auctions with Ray Copeland but Ray never purchased any cattle himself 
Jack wrote checks from the account that had been set up for him, and after each sale, Jack and Ray loaded thousands of dollars worth of livestock into his truck and headed back to the farm. You think that Ray would just get proactively blacklisted, even if yeah. you aren't responsible. You just you're, keep... you got some bad friends. No, Ray. No, you're no. not allowed to come here. Don't bring your all of your criminal friends, your long string string of criminal friends, to our auctions, sir. Mm-mm. Within 15 days of working for the couple, Jack realized that the last check he'd written had bounced as the Copelands hadn't deposited enough money for the purchases he was making for them, and so a warrant was issued for Jack's arrest. Jack said that he confronted Ray about the scheme and asked Ray to take him to the bank to close the account. The next morning, Faye left early, claiming she was going to work at her part-time job, and Ray asked Jack to give him a hand with trapping a raccoon in the barn after no, she'd left. Oh, no, don't do it. Jack said that once they were in the barn, he noticed that a tractor with a two-wheel trailer had been backed up near the barn, and there was a shovel and a piece of plastic on the trailer. Oh, God. Uh, run away. Any time you're off with some shady guy and there's a piece of plastic of any size anywhere. Yes, and it run. I don't care if it's like a saran wrap draped on a cutting board. Get the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. When he turned around, Ray had a 22 gauge rifle pressed against his head. Holy shit. I have no idea how Jack convinced Ray not to use the rifle, but he didn't shoot Jack and instead drove him to the town where they'd opened Jack's fraudulent bank account. How he has mind control powers. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm assuming that Ray realized that it would probably be a good idea to get eyewitnesses seeing Jack close the bank account Mm -hmm. to take the heat off of himself. That's Mm -hmm. the only reason I can imagine that he was able to do that. Yeah, he just he had the murder plastic ready. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I I read court. Records, Delhi didn't have that information. It, yeah. So, but that's uh, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I bet that's what I bet at the last minute, either Jack said something like, don't you want them to see me close the account or something? Mm-hmm. He wanted an alive person out on the lamb to distract from him. I don't know. But either Jack is a genius and convinced him of it, or he has mind control powers or mm-hmm. Ray figured out that. He's better off alive for now. Yeah. Yep. So Ray said that he needed to swing by the courthouse before they went to the bank so he could pick up Faye, who was openly surprised to see an alive Jack when they came to collect her. (laughs) Oh, that's so chilling. Yeah. Jack said they then drove him to the bank to close the account, and he declined to return to the farm to collect his belongings. Good for him. Like, I'm good, Smart bros. Guy. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. On top of narrowly escaping his execution, Jack said he'd found a closet filled with clothing belonging to their previous farmhands in the Copeland's home. Oh, God, that it's that it. Mm-mm. No. How do yeah. people write real live horror sh- movies? You know. Especially like old timey farmhand shit. No, uh, thank you very much. I don't need a dusty ass old closet no, on a farm uh, full of clothes. And get this, he saw that some of the men had written their names inside the articles no, of clothing. No. A common practice for people experiencing homelessness. Yes, that's mm-hmm. so creepy. 
just imagining their penmanship. Ugh, God. Nope, nope. So sad. Jack claimed he'd also seen a human skull and human (gasps) leg bone on the property. Quote, as he returned to the house, he was met by Faye, who seemed upset and told Jack that she and Ray did not want anyone going back there. (laughs) Jack believed that the clothing he'd found in the closet belonged to the men that Ray had murdered. Armed with their evidence from the past few years and Jack McCormick's statement to police, detectives finally had enough evidence to arrest Ray and Faye Copeland for check fraud. Authorities also secured a search warrant for the farm. Two other men, Lothar Borner and James, uh, yes, Lothar, 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 I've never seen that name in my life, Lothar or Lothar Borner and James Page had also been lured into the scam by the Copelands after Jack fled, but Borner fled when he sensed something was off Mm. and Ray was arrested while Paige was working for them. And so he survived. Wow. They were gonna do this forever. Yes. Imagine being either of those men and being like, oh my God. No. Thank you for the fates smiling down on me because that was a very close call. And good for you, Lothar Borner. For being a genius because yeah. he was like yeah i just would like immediately radar sensors screaming red flags of a waving i was out of there good for him yes so on the morning of october 9th 1989 the couple was taken into custody and with the copelands in jail investigations were investigators were able to begin their search that same morning more than 40 officers i don't know where they got all those officers this is a town of 130 <laughs> people <laughs> All of them. Everybody. All of Missouri must have been like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. This is going to be a party, guys. <laughs> Several backhoes and multiple teams of bloodhounds arrived on the Copeland farm. It was a large area and investigators were prepared to search the property for weeks. Right away, though, they found items in the home that seemed to support Jack McCormick's story. They located the closet filled with men's clothing with the names written on the tags and a few articles of clothing belonged to men who had been missing for a few years. They were so bold. They didn't even bother to cover up their tracks. I know. They just thought nobody would care. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. They also found a suitcase that had belonged to one of the men. And I'm assuming, you know, it's just like serial killers who prey on sex workers, they just have this idea that they're doing the world a favor. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that, that if there's some of, something of that to this case where Ray was probably like, yeah, they're not never going to care because I'm mm-hmm. like cleaning up the streets. I'm taking a burden off society or whatever. So after one week, investigators hadn't found anything conclusive to confirm Jack McCormick's story that these men had actually been murdered. But then 12 days into their search, investigators decided to search a neighbor's property because Mm -hmm. Ray had worked there from time to time for extra money. Keep your murders to your own property lines. Yeah. That's what I always say. Yes. (laughs) No, like I know that you are preying on very vulnerable men in really diabolical and heinous ways. But the very least you can do is keep your murders to your property lines. Right? The least. Have some decency as you're murdering vulnerable populations of people. God. Serially. 
In one of the neighbor's barns, they discovered three bodies. Oh, my God. Uh, how did the neighbor not, like, buried in the neighbors? Yes. Okay. Each one was buried in a separate grave, and they were later identified as 21-year-old Paul Jason Cowart from Arkansas, 27-year-old John W. Freeman from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and 27-year-old Jimmy Dale Harvey from Springfield, Missouri. All three had died from a single gunshot wound to the back of the skull. Mm. And maybe when Jack turned around, Ray was not prepared to be confronted. The other three were shot mm -hmm. point blank in the back of the head right. before they probably realized what was happening. I don't yeah. know. So the following week, investigators searched another barn Ray was known to use. More than a dozen deputies and volunteers spent several hours removing 2,000 bales of hay. Oh, God. Which was okay. stacked ceiling high. Jesus. Which also sounds like a major fire hazard. Like, I have been in hay barns before, but reading that number, I'm like, just the amount of heat that that much mm -hmm. hay produces on its own makes me freaked out. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Investigators discovered a body wrapped in black plastic beneath the barn floor. Oh, my God. The victim had also been killed by a single gunshot to the back of the head. He was later identified as Wayne Warner, age unknown. Mm. During a search of the Copeland's home, investigators seized a twenty-two caliber Marlin Bolt action rifle and ballistics tests later revealed it was the weapon used in each murder. Mm-mm-mm. Investigators also discovered a handwritten list of farm helpers in Faye's handwriting that either had an X or the word back written next to them. Back? Back. I don't know what that referred to. Three of the men on the list were men they'd found dead, and those men's names all had X's written next to them. Oh, my God. In addition, they also found a quilt which Faye had made from the clothing of some of the murdered men. <gasps> what? And two pasture rental agreements in Faye's handwriting that showed that Ray Copeland had rented pasture to two of the victims, Wayne Warner and Dennis Murphy. A quilt. Yeah. And that piece of evidence really made this case. We'll get into a little bit more about Faye and her involvement, but that piece, people were like, oh, she's a serial killer making, this is her treasure, this is her trophy. Yeah, I tend to think that she was just being resourceful. It does sound like she was an abused woman, but that piece, when I first read that too, I had the same reaction, like, oh, hell creepy to the no. And maybe Ray made her make it too. Mm -hmm. That is also a very strong option there possibility yeah. but either yeah. way either even way. if she had to be resourceful <laughs> yeah they're like thousand heirs they have so much money from ripping these men off i mean that oh is a God. lot of money that they were able to steal from just like twelve thousand dollars in 1989 was a lot of fucking money you know yeah on a farm in Missouri, you could buy five farms in Missouri for twelve thousand dollars. It's just so much money. No, that's just really fucked up. Yeah, and they're in their seventies. Like, just live off your social security, dumb dumb. Yeah, especially yeah. in the eighties. This is Reagan era, man. Yet everyone had money. There was so much money. Uh uh. I don't, mm -mm. So as the search began to wind down, investigators made one final discovery. 
While examining an old well close to where Warner's body was found, they discovered the body of another man chained to a concrete block at the bottom. Oh my God. Uh, he was later identified as 27-year-old Dennis Murphy. As with the others, his death resulted from a single bullet to the back of the head, which is just a small mercy that he did not have to drown mm-hmm. in the bottom of a fucking well. Mm-hmm. You should not dispose of bodies in the bottom of wells, but I'm just <sighs> no. so glad he was dead before they put him down there because that's fucking terrible. Yeah. Ray Copeland was born in Oklahoma in 1914 as World War I was beginning in Europe. He moved around a lot until his family settled in Ozark Hills, Arkansas, Ray dropped out of school in fourth grade to help with the family's farm during the Great Depression. Limited information is available about his childhood, but family friends later described him as stubborn and insubordinate. Mm. I imagine living through World War I, the Great Depression, World War II. I'm like, that is a fucked up time to be born. Yeah, it is. There's a, there was a pandemic in the middle of that. Like, mm. Thanks, but no thanks. Ray's life of crime began at 20 when he stole two hogs from his father to sell them in another town. He didn't face any formal charges for that crime and continued to engage in various petty thefts, mostly focused on stealing livestock. His crimes escalated over time, leading to his arrest in 1936 for forging government checks. He served a one-year sentence in the county jail for that crime. Well, I guess those crimes multiple times of mm-hmm. multiple forgeries. After getting out of jail, he returned to his parents' farm and things were pretty quiet for about three years. Then in 1940, Ray met 19-year-old Faye Della Wilson during a routine visit to his doctor's office. She was the daughter of two hardworking parents from Harrison, Arkansas, but the family was very poor. She was one of seven children raised in a dirt floor cabin. Mm. Ray and Faye quickly hit it off, and they were married less than six months later. Within a year of marriage, they had a baby boy that they named Everett. Two years later, they had another baby that they named Billy Ray. A year after that, they had a baby girl named Betty Lou. And two years after that, they had another boy that they named Alvia. Wow. Their fifth and final child was born in 1949, named William Wayne. And I, I know that everyone got married at 19, but whenever mm-hmm. I see that, I'm like, she was just a child. I'm like, well, but that's every, if you weren't married by the time you were 25, you could just pack it up. Old. Got to die Made. alone. Yeah. yeah. Ray moved their family to Fresno County, California, but had difficulty finding work after a local farmer accused him of stealing his horses. No charges were filed, but his reputation never recovered. So the family moved back to Arkansas. Less than a month after they returned to Arkansas, Ray Copeland faced his first arrest for cattle theft, leading to a grand larceny conviction and a year in jail. After his release, the family moved to Rocky Comfort, Missouri. <laughs> Rocky oh. Comfort. What? Kind of, what? There's, there's, no, there's things comfy so. rocks? No. no. It's so cute. Rocky Comfort, Missouri. Also, Missourians that are listening, you have failed to... To, to tap into those to names. deposit rocky comfort to name time <laughs> to make a rocky comfort <laughs> deposit to name time and i'm holding you all harmless wait I'm what a, no we all huh? holding you all responsible is what i meant to say <laughs> god rocky comfort missouri Ooh. 
Uh, but the charge, but the change in scenery didn't seem to cure Ray of his stealing habits. Ray was charged again with cattle theft in 1951 and was sentenced to manual labor on the judge's farm. And I said, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a conflict of interest whatsoever. No, not a problem. Perfectly legal, fully on the up and up. No problem. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. From 1953 to 1961, the Copelands moved through various towns, with Ray repeatedly being arrested for writing bad checks. He just could not help himself. No. Well, and it's just like, I think that there is something to being a white man at that time or any time, but especially at that time, they're not going to try that hard to keep you in jail. Mm -hmm. If you're a black man and you write two bad checks back then, you're in jail for the rest of your life. But I'm sure he just knew, he figured out very quickly that... If when that, he was in jail, he wouldn't have to deal with his kids. He could get free food. What are, the stakes were not that high for him. Mm -hmm. In 1961, he paid for cattle with a fraudulent check, leading to a nine-month sentence. Upon release, he paid for cattle with another bad check, <laughs> earning him another nine months you in jail. You don't get to buy any more cattle. <sighs> By that point in his life, Ray realized he had spent more time incarcerated than free so decided it was time for a change. Oh, yeah. And so he became an attorney. Just kidding. Rather than cleaning up his act and finding an honest way to make a living, he just opted for a new approach. In 1966, the family moved to Missouri and managed to buy a farm in Mooresville in 1967. Also, okay, Millennials, young millennials, Gen Z, they can't buy property. This no. career criminal fucking bought a farm. <laughs> Such a good a point. A farm. <laughs> a full-ass farm. I don't know how much acreage is on this farm, but I recently sold farm to clients. I have a real estate license. That bitch was $350,000 yeah. mm -hmm. for a two-acre quote-unquote farm with one barn was falling over. But he bought a full farm. For like $12. I'm sure. Yeah. The town had a population of 130 people. They're probably paying people to live in Mooresville at that point, <laughs> now that I think about it. And locals said that Ray was a, quote, menacing oddball. Oh, God. Quote, real bitey and snappy. What? <laughs> you are making that up. No, I, I, shut found, your mouth. I found that quote so I can confirm <laughs> that is true. Oh real God. bitey and snappy, the owner of a local cafe said. <laughs> Little trigger warning for animal cruelty in this next part. It's not gruesome, but she added that Ray yelled at waitresses and intentionally ran over dogs. What? Real bitey and snappy. Very bitey and snappy. What kind yeah. of monster is he? Okay, I mean, it's one thing yeah. to be a terrible serial killer of vulnerable people. Yeah. It's a whole other thing to yell at waitresses and run and over dogs. Intentionally run over dogs. Oh, my God. Monster. Yes. Monster. Okay, I do. I see what you mean about Faye. Like, my sympathies are a little bit there for her because could you imagine? No. Living your life with this man and having five children with him. I cannot imagine living with somebody who yells at waitresses. No. What period? I, like, I can barely stand it when I know somebody who doesn't tip well. No. Uh, no, absolutely not. Like, I have ended friendships over, mm -hmm. like, treating waitstaff poorly. Not a, I will always end a friendship over someone who treat Like, it's just such an indication of a character. person's character. Yeah. 
but yes, running over to, ugh, no, this, he is the fucking worst. Yes. Uh, worst person is real bitey and snappy, which we should add to our merch <laughs> deli. Oh, really? We please add real bitey and snappy <laughs> to the merch list. I, I am pretty bitey and snappy. We're updating our merch, and we, if you're not on our Instagram, we put a put a little uh, call out for a, co- a contest to just to get people to remind us of cuckoo bonkers things we've said in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, real, I, we did not say real bitey and snappy, but I really want a shirt that says real bitey and snappy. <laughs> um, locals also suspected that Ray was abusive to Faye and their children. Yeah. You have, you would have to be, there's yeah. no way he was kind to them. Mm-mm. No, I'm sure he was like kind to two of them just to fuck with all the kids, you know, like yeah, had, had two favorites and just tortured the rest of them. So in the early 1970s, Ray devised a scheme that would bring us back to the beginning of our story. He decided to use strangers as proxies for fraudulent cattle purchases this involved finding transient men who he could bring to livestock auctions to write bed checks from Ray's account, allowing him to sell the cattle before the checks bounced. <laughs> the plan worked for a while, but investigators caught up with one drifter, Gerald Perkins, who cooperated with authorities. Ray was charged with larceny and served nearly two years in jail, and so Ray was forced to pivot if he wanted to keep his criminal cow empire afloat. No, don't pivot. In the mid-1980s, he came up with a diabolical plan to drive the transient men he convinced to work for him to nearby towns where he would open bank accounts and post office boxes in their names, write checks from their accounts at livestock auctions, and then disappear them when their usefulness waned. It's so fucked up. Yeah. But the discovery of the bodies on the Copeland farm, this also is just real quick, another perfect illustration of Gen Z and millennials can't buy property, probably don't have any credit. But meanwhile, this convicted murderer can just drive transient men to nearby towns and open them bank accounts willy nilly. Just no no problemo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with the discovery of the bodies on the Copeland farm, prosecutors were quick to offer Faye Copeland a deal If she told them where more bodies might be found, they would only charge her with conspiracy to commit murder, and she would serve a few months in jail for her cooperation. Faye claimed to have no knowledge of any of the murders, and so both Ray and Faye Copeland were arraigned on five counts of first-degree murder. Mm. Ray was taken to a state mental hospital for evaluation so that the prosecution could avoid any claim of insanity by the defense. The public defender's office knew it would be hard to defend the couple together, so they filed for a motion to have the cases tried separately. No one knew for certain which direction the trial would take, but everyone suspected Faye would have a better chance on her own. The prosecution chose to seek the death penalty in both cases. Wow. Yeah. In November, on November 1st, 1990, 69-year-old Faye Copeland faced trial. Her defense tried to show lack of knowledge in the killings, painting her as both a bystander and a victim of battered woman syndrome. Battered woman syndrome, quote, expresses itself by obsessive behavior, depression, social isolation, deference to the spouse, confusion, low self-esteem, guilt, lack of independence in thought or action, 
denial of reality and a feeling of an absence of control of events around her. And while it can be used as a defense in cases of self-defense, it does not stand up in cases of mm. homicide against someone who is not a spouse. That's interesting. Never and thought now, of that. I hadn't either. So I think about these cases, of people in cults. Yeah. And things. I'm wondering if that has changed since, but when I was reading the court documents, I found that so interesting. So you can use that as your defense. And I think it commonly works to use that as a defense mm-hmm. if you kill your spouse, but not if you kill someone else for your spouse. Mm. Prosecutors cited the list they'd found written in her handwriting and the quilt they discovered during a farm search as evidence of her involvement. The jury found this very compelling, and they found her guilty on five counts of first-degree murder. Wow. She was sentenced to death by lethal injection for four counts and life without parole for the fifth. Hmm. When she heard her sentence, Faye Copeland sobbed uncontrollably. I bet. Ray Copeland, on the other hand, couldn't have cared less. The morning after Faye's verdict, a sheriff involved with the case asked Ray if he'd heard about Faye's verdict. He responded, nah, what happened? Oh, my God. When the sheriff told him she'd been found guilty and recommended for execution, he simply said, well, those things happen to some, you know. Oh, my God. Uh, Ray never asked about Faye again. Oh, my God. Those things happen to some, you know. Yeah. On March 7th, 1991, 76-year-old Ray Copeland faced trial. Following weeks of testimony at the admission and the admission of ballistic test results by the prosecution, a jury found him guilty on all five counts of first-degree murder. He received a death sentence by lethal injection. In response to the verdict, Ray simply mumbled, I'm okay. (laughs) Good. Good job, buddy. Ray and Faye Copeland became the oldest couple in American history ever sentenced to death. Wow. Two years later at the Potosi Correctional Center awaiting execution, Ray Copeland died of natural causes. I saw that he had a degenerative brain disease. I saw that in the court documents. I don't know if that was just dementia, but (sighs) of course he died of a degenerative brain disease. (laughs) Many investigators still suspect Ray's involvement with other undiscovered murders to this day. A hundred percent, no question, no I mean, it just doubt seems like it about was, it. Yeah, left and right, just willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Twice yep. a week. Yes. If you own property near, near Mooresville, Missouri, <laughs> in Mooresville, Missouri, and you need to excavate, do so slowly because yes. there are probably transient bodies yes. under your barns. Mm-hmm. Faye's attorney filed an appeal to overturn her death sentence because the jury that convicted her was not allowed to hear evidence of battered woman syndrome. That's where I found the bit in the mm-hmm. court documents. Her appeals documents are available. The first court cases are not. But right. on August 6th, 1999, at 78 years old, her death sentence was overturned. Faye's attorney was quoted as saying, the evidence of Faye's guilt was pretty thin. Faye just happened to be there. She works in the greenhouse at the prison every day. She wouldn't hurt a fly. 
I think you can ask the warden and he would say he could open the door and there wouldn't be a danger to anybody. Mm. I feel pretty confident that that's the case. Yeah. Even though the death penalty was no longer an issue, the judge allowed her murder convictions to stand and she was ordered to remain in prison for the rest of her life. Several women's activist groups began to protest Faye's imprisonment, claiming she had suffered enough and that she presented no threat to society. They argued that her sentence should be commuted to time served, but this didn't persuade the judge. Two weeks after her sentencing, Faye Copeland gave a rare interview to the Kansas City Star. Quote, I couldn't have flowers at home. He didn't like me tending to anything other than him. Mm. As long as I was with him or working the cattle or the tractor, that was okay. But flowers, no, he didn't like them. I was raised to love my husband and support him no matter what. The man is the head of the family. The Bible says it should be that way. It wouldn't do to say Ray was mean to me or not. Yes, he did mess up my life, but that's not to say I wasn't a good wife to him. I was never mean to him. Maybe we'd have gotten along better if I had knocked the shit out of him a few times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Faye. Anyone listening? Yes. Give him a good old knocking about. They deserve it. Yeah. I've often thought since maybe this was for the best. Where did I go wrong if I went wrong? I know one place was getting married at all. Yes, Faye. Yes. <laughs> but he was my life for many, many years. I didn't know nothing else. Will I get out? I may go out feet first, but I'll get out of here someday. Mm. In November of 2000, the Missouri Attorney General appealed the judge's ruling asking to reinstate Faye's death sentence. Ugh. But the federal appeals court upheld the decision. Good. Faye remained quiet during most of the proceedings, but when asked if she had anything to say, she said, I think I've paid for what I did or what I knew. God will forgive me for anything I've said or done. Afterwards, Faye's son spoke briefly with the Associated Press and said he had been asking for his mother's release since she was imprisoned. Quote, there's no way in the world mom could have done what they said she had done. But when asked about Ray, he said he was guilty. I have no qualms about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. On August 10th, 2002, Faye Copeland suffered a stroke, which left her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. Weeks later, she was paroled to a nursing home in her hometown. The following year, on December 30th, 2003, 82-year-old Faye Copeland died of natural causes at the Morningside Center nursing home, finally earning her freedom. <laughs> and that, my angels, is the wildly horrible case of the Copeland killing. Wow. So, Wow. And a couple of old baddies preying on the most vulnerable among us. That's God. that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's a nice to job, Ray. You fucking psychopath. My God. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope it's true. And Faye was another victim. Yeah. And that her kids had at least one parent that cared for them. And Ugh, I know. I thought about their kids so much as I was digging into Delhi's work and yeah I I'm sure she participated in the record keeping and all of these things you know mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm sure she was yeah I'm sure that. she knew it was happening yes but what do you do when you've got an actual monster for a husband right 
yeah, other than shoot them yourself. But yeah, like she said, you're a Christian woman living in the Midwest and the South in the fifties and you got five kids to support. What are you going to do? At at the best case scenario, you shoot your husband in the head and then you have to figure out what to do with five children. That is an impossible situation. No, no. When it, when you were married as a child, practically, you know, it's just, that's all, you know, that's all that anybody knows. You complain yes. to your mom and she's like, yeah, suck it up. Everybody's husband's abusive. No. Who knows? Oh, God. Well, just the terror that those children and Faye, I'm sure, but the children in particular, you know what your father's doing. You know that these men keep showing up and your father keeps disappearing them. And that's so fucked up. It's yeah. so scary. So scary. I just picture it all so dusty and desolate. And that's just because I watch too many horror movies. But yeah. ugh. Gruesome. Oh, Awful. Delaware. Go to your room. Delaware. Very good job. Lothar Mozingo. You. (laughs) Yeah, bitey, snappy. Perfect angel. Little genius. Thank you for the story. Thank you. Thank you for this. Bravo once again. Good job. And you are going to be sued post haste. (laughs) The paperwork will be there momentarily. You have been served, (laughs) madam. <laughs> oh, oh my god, god you guys I, I have name times for you well before we do week. name time i want to tell people about something that happened to me yeah no they don't Real need quick. to know anything about you <laughs> please yes what please that was very aggressive yes please tell people not yes what oh uh, i lost my wedding ring six yeah. years ago six years ago I was pregnant with a second born child of mine and the ring, I don't know, my wedding ring just fell off my finger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whenever I just one day I realized I didn't have it on and it wasn't where I put it usually. I was very sad about it. I loved this ring. Devastated. It was awful and never found it. I just assumed it was gone forever. We are in the process of moving from one house to the other like you do. Yep. And the other day, Ryan and I were at the old house. And we had just moved a big piece of furniture and he was picking up the things that had gotten underneath, well, gotten underneath it. Uh-huh. And um, he sits, he stands up real quick and I'm, I'm down on the floor doing something else and his eyes are big. And I said, oh, what happened? <laughs> and that little sweetie opens his hand and mm-hmm. my ring is in his hand. Mm-hmm. And I burst into tears. Yeah, man. I... <sighs> I can't describe, like, it's not just about the ring, but I think it's one of the first times in my life where I had given up on something Mm -hmm. completely. And even though that this was a physical item, it just reminds me of the things in general that I want to give up on or um, have given up on and regretted it later. But when he opened it, it felt like a miracle. Yes. <laughs> I felt like it yeah. was, it just was otherworldly that he had actually found it. And it gave me so much joy and peace and hope. Yeah. I can't even describe. Don't give up on yourself. Sometimes things come back to you. Yes. And, and, and things get better. Yeah. And things get better. And, and Courtney was, she was in Italy at the time. <laughs> But when I texted, I was like, holy shit, my ring's back. She said it. This feels really significant. And it really does. The whole timing of all of it. Um, I'm going to try not to cry, but 
<laughs> I just can't describe the um, amount of change that has happened yeah. in those last six years when we mm-hmm. lost the ring and I was just getting ready to have my second baby and all of the shit that came after that. Yeah. And the massive amount of work that I've done, our family has done, that, yep. court, you know, all of us have, have gotten through. And we're moving into this house that we love and mm-hmm. I have my mental health together and I have this podcast that I love. And, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. Ryan and I are better than we've ever been. And it, I feel like it was a little sign from the universe, like congratulations almost not that we've arrived, but good work here. No, big here time. Yeah. yeah, it felt so significant, even in the amount of time that we've known you guys, meaning our listeners, like our lives and specifically Sadie's life. My life has changed significantly, but Sadie's life has gotten a fucking brain transplant. I don't even know how to describe (laughs) it. You guys, she is a completely different person with a completely different life. Yeah. And it's pretty remarkable that as you move into this new chapter, this beautiful new chapter and this beautiful new house and everybody's well and like, Things are very good mm-hmm. that you would get the ring back. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty, pretty bonkers nuts. So, I mean, it's just cool in general, like that yeah. it showed up, but then yes. it showed up right now was like, oh, yeah. vomit, cool, awesome, <laughs> so beautiful, awesome. nuts, crazy, everything. Yeah. So if you're in that phase right now where shit is, feels awful. Yeah. Oh, just know that it's... It doesn't have to be that way. No. And yeah. it won't probably be that way. For yeah. Me. And there are just phases in life that are really yeah. hard. Yeah. And I know that my anxiety and then my depression and um, I spent a lot of time feeling like that was it forever. And it's just not. Yeah. And if you need support, if you need resources, let us know. You don't have to be doing it alone. And yeah. the work sometimes just feels so daunting. Mm-hmm. You just want to lay in bed. Um, but I promise it's worth it. So, yeah. And I also know, you know, I sit with this feeling right now and knowing that in the future, when the hard things happen, yeah. just always reminding myself that it's a cycle and nothing stays one way forever. Um, and that uh, that's OK. It can come back around. So, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, and Sarah and I, both of us who are not parents, so have every um, authority to speak on this, but (laughs) we were just talking on the way home about how, and I've said this on the podcast multiple times, but I I think all the time about when your oldest was born and Ryan's brother said, trust me, it gets so much easier. Like this is so temporary and it gets so much easier. And I think there's so many things, especially if you're somebody who is living with diagnosed or undiagnosed neurodivergence, anxiety, depression, any kind of, if you are, A, if you're not aware that you have those things, having children will make you aware that you have those (laughs) things and all of your family members and everyone around you. But a lot is going to come up and it's not talked about enough. You're supposed to be in this blissful fucking soft focus love bubble after you have babies. And I think that experience is less common than it's not. You know, I think most people have a total, like we've talked about a lot too, just catastrophic like world explosion. And 
a lot comes up and it's very hard and like watching you guys go through what you've gone through to get to the place that you are is shocking. I am not, I, I am not strong enough for that. Sarah and I were talking about that on the way home. Like I am, I know I am a hundred percent sure I'm not strong enough for that. And, but I do think it's important for young new parents to know that it is temporary yeah. and it really is. It gets as an auntie, it got so much easier. <laughs> like, it's so different. It's just so different. Having these children versus those toddlers and babies is like night and fucking day. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And also the work that you all have done to get to the point that you are so much healthier than you were when they were younger or before they were born. You know, we mm-hmm. just, we had that inside of us. We just didn't know it because we didn't, we weren't challenged by these little nuggets of life, you know, and it's so worth it. You know, if the boys ever listen to this or if any children ever listen to this and think like get, feel guilty for that, that is not you. It is not your fault. That is stuff that was just a time bomb sitting inside of all of us waiting to explode. And you just like escalated that um, experience, you know, but, but you never would have the lives that you have had they not been born. You not, we would not be as healthy as we are. Absolutely. We would not be as healed. We would not be as like happy. No. So, and I don't ever, there's not a day that passes no. that I wish I didn't have them by any means. And it's not even about them. It's no, about, it's not. No. Um, it's about the transformation and, and the choice of deciding to do it yes. differently and wanting, really wanting to support myself so that I can f- honestly support them, yep. putting them first. Yep. And it's, I mean, you know, in the way of, I'm their mom, not in the way that I don't matter, (laughs) but right. Yeah. It's, it just is, it's very intense (laughs) having kids. And I think it's a universal experience that we don't talk about. Don't acknowledge. Yeah. Don't give up hope. If you lose something, if you actually have lost something physical that you long for, maybe it'll come back. I, I swear to God, I never thought it was ever it, ever going to come back let alone just in my carpet on in my living room no what i know okay apparently i need to move my furniture around more (laughs) (laughs) um you know what else is a miracle name time name time and it's been i think a couple of weeks because we had to front load a bunch of episodes and then last week it was a long episode anyway you guys you've been patient and here is this week's this month's name time. <laughs> Someone's high school principal was Jeff Wimp. <laughs> Wimp is such a funny word, too. Someone's brother's boss is Paula Tobacco. Whoa. Cute. So cute. Todd Raprager. <laughs> a little salon pun, which I are my favorites. To die for. My local salon is Sheer Illusions, which is, (laughs) ugh, fucking exquisite name. Sheer Illusions. S-H-E-A-R. Illusions. What? (laughs) Uh. Oh, a locksmith store called Key Evidence. (laughs) 
Someone works at Starbucks and fa- had a family come in, and the daughters' names were Melody, Harmony, Symphony, and Rhythm. That's so I God, I know exactly what that family is like too. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I can picture those children. I can picture yep. their house. I can yep. picture the piano that they practice on. Yep. I know exactly what that family is. Yeah, in my tiny, tiny town that Courtney and I grew up in, and it was tiny. It is still tiny. Yeah. In my class people. of a hundred people. I think we had 99 in our graduating class. Mm-hmm. We had a harmony and a melody, not related. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. But did you have a symphony or a rhythm? No. I wish. Yeah, well, that is kind of crazy. Yeah. I also never thought about the fact that melody and harmony are musical words until just now. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like they are names, you know, they're just names. I That's never thought so about funny. that. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, brain. You are weird. (laughs) Toya Toy. Yes, yes. Hip, hip, hooray. Yes, Toya Toy. There's a town called Cool, California. How is that real? (laughs) Oh, it's not. Made it up. Should be like Cowabunga, California. (laughs) Uh, Someone's son named their cat. Noodle, which every Uh, cat should be named. Everyone should have a pet named Noodle at some point in time. Yes. Rustin Sides. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> that doesn't sound real. That Rustin sounds southern. And I, huge, huge stamp of approval for Rustin Sides. And Beaver Holt the third. <laughs> th- three Beaver Holts. Anita Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, someone was in a Zoom class with a guy named Jackie Shoulders. Ooh. And he was dressed like a magician with a fabulous pocket square. Okay. Really? Yes. What? I don't know what the Zoom class was for. I don't know why Jackie Shoulders was dressed like a magician with a fabulous pocket square, but don't ever change Jackie Shoulders. Never no. change. And invite me to the next Zoom class. The same husband works with a Randy Bone. I look, yes. God bless the name Randy, first of all. Yes. Alone, the name Randy rules the world, but Randy Bone. Randy Bone. <laughs> Someone has college friends who decided to name their first son after both of their fathers. His father's name is Richard, and he goes by Dick. Mm-hmm. The, her father's name is Leslie. He goes by Les. Their son is Richard Leslie or Dick Les. No. <laughs> Yippee, yippee. Uh, <laughs> they said the best part was that the boy's father pointed this out. I named my kid Dickless. <laughs> uh, Tommy Turtle produced Loki on Disney Plus. Tommy what? Turtle. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Miranda McDicken. Yes. God bless. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> co-producer on Law & Order SVU named Speedweed. I can't believe that we haven't gotten to Speedweed sooner. I have seen Speedweed. What? And I can't believe I ever thought of, forgot about Speedweed. Speedweed. So, mm-hmm. Speedweed. Real name. Yep. Speedweed. I mean, it might be like a pen name for mm-hmm. producing. I don't know. But Speedweed mm-hmm. is, yes, hunt, a standing ovation. Lieutenant Colonel Hun Deep. <laughs> Cash with a K, register. Cash with a K, uh-huh. register. I looked it up. It is real. It's a name of a person? Cash or- 
register. No. Yep. Mrs. Trigger warning. Mrs. Rape. Kindergarten teacher. I looked it up. It's real. Wow. Yes. Mr. Perv. Also real. (laughs) Hitler Mussolini. No. Yes. No. Dick Long. (laughs) Paul Tucock. (laughs) Dr. Wet Farts. Also real. W-H-E-T-F-A-A-R-T-Z. Yes, it's real. Major Dickie Head. (laughs) This one's so good. Sad man. (laughs) S-A-A-D-M-A-A-N. Someone with the first name like Peter or whatever, Parker. Uh Last name Ennis. He, this hero among men, made sure to abbreviate his first name. P period Ennis. Penis is his name in his senior class yearbook. Penis. (laughs) So funny. Batman bin Superman, Superman, S-U-P-A-R-M-A-N, Batman bin Superman. No. Yes. Missouri Supreme Court Judge Ginger Gooch. Yes. <laughs> which gives marijuana Pepsi to me, which everyone uh-huh. knows is my favorite uh-huh. name. Dr. Mar- excuse me. I shouldn't, uh-huh. I will Back never up. ever Back refer up, to, I will never say the name marijuana Pepsi without the doctor, the mm-hmm. earned doctor in front of Dr. Marijuana Pepsi, Judge Ginger Gooch similar vibe 100 percent. like heroes heroes of mine that's all you guys oh that's a good just wanted to remind everyone that there that dr marijuana pepsi is exists as often as i can and celebrate her from the fucking rooftops 100 percent. i love you dr marijuana pepsi (sighs) it's speaking of not that real quick i love wait nope you, no, not yet. Hold on. Okay. What else do you have? I, you have so much up your sleeve this week. I'm going to take I, a bite of yogurt while you say okay. what say. Um, do you remember Jim Jam and the Shim Shams? Yes. Okay. Uh, I wasn't in the car with you, right? Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. Over the weekend, our BFF Sarah came to town, which she now has to come to all Eck mm-hmm. uh, family holidays because we've decided she's the one that made it extra fun. Mm-hmm. And we, she and I were able to have lunch together, which was also really nice. Just two adults having lunch. And we were driving back and I came, we came to a four-way stop. And my friends who maybe listen to this podcast did not tell me that Jim Jam has his own drawn up car Mm -mm. and a vanity license plate that says Jim Jam, Mm -mm. but it's all about MAGA and wow. capital building and mm. uh, illustrations. Oh, no. Pictures. Shim Shams is like Shim Shams? I guess so. And oh, I know that Jim wow. Jam is not a nice neighbor, but I don't know anything else about him. Whoa. But he has a whole car that he drives around and I have never seen it until today. Wow. I mean, not today. The other day, a couple days right. ago. Jim Holy Jam shit. has his own car. But it's a MAGA billboard. Basically, yeah. But it's also very small writing and pictures so you have to kind of pay attention but i'm pretty sure there was something on there about maga damn so which i like yeah i mean it's very uh, uh, everyone's aware that we're not maga people but i do love a like kind of lunatic um uh scribble billboard god yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. like there's there used to be one in south bend that was religious based like somebody's front yard was full 
of handwritten like prophecy billboards. Yeah, yeah we've got Full. one of those here yeah. in town. Yeah, it's really, it used to be all about AOC, but I think he's moved on to Biden or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Got to keep, keep, keep up, <laughs> keep up with your conspiracy billboards, your hand-drawn conspiracy billboards. Wow. Jim Jam. I yeah. was not expecting that. No, I wasn't either. I thought we were done talking about Jim Jam, but I need to, I need to have a conversation with my quilting friends about their lack of details. Uh, I think I'm, I or to maybe hit. they told me and I, or I was in the bathroom. And they I don't know, but I did not know he had a car like that. No, uh, and I need to make a car like that, I think, is what this really is uh, <laughs> bringing up for me. I don't know what I'll talk about on it. I don't know that I have enough to say about any one subject or multiple subjects to cover a car or oh, we'll a just do it in billboard. honor of Dr. Marijuana Pepsi. I will just, just Dr. Marijuana Pepsi facts. <laughs> If you're listening, Dr. Marijuana Pepsi, and you want to give me some facts about you, I will happily draw them on my car. (laughs) Not even going to ask my wife's permission. Could you imagine Laura like wakes up one morning and goes downstairs? (laughs) You're all Honda fits. (laughs) Dr. Marijuana. Or I could do the mini. I have a mini convertible. That would be even funnier. Just like the smallest (laughs) amount of space ever. Uh, oh my god yeah, yeah. I, you know though she's such a champion i am 99 percent sure there would be a moment where my wife would be a little disappointed that i covered our car in <laughs> dr marijuana pepsi propaganda but she would very quickly get on board and start adding her own details to the fan fiction i guess it would it would be of Mar- dr marijuana pepsi that we would then drive around our town yeah <laughs> yeah, probably something you want to check in with your partner about, but before you do it to your car. But I think you're right. She would totally get mm-hmm. on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that if you're going to convert a car into a Dr. Marijuana Pepsi <laughs> fan fiction, mobile fan fiction, <laughs> mobile, then probably just want to do it. Shoot first, <laughs> apologize later kind of yeah. a thing. Because mm-hmm. I cannot imagine the the process of convincing her that that would be a good idea. So. <laughs> I do agree. I mean, if that happened to me, I would be bummed, but eventually get on board. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but who else do we love? You guys. We love you guys. So and much. let's do some shouty outies for our Patreon supporters. We mm-hmm. love them. And if you want to be one of them for as little as $5 a month, you can head over to our Patreon there are 160 plus a whole ass, fall ass episodes over there. And uh, all of our Patreon episodes are ad free. So you can get the main feed plus the bonus episodes ad free if you yes. sign up. And this then you most get one recent. Of, go ahead. Sorry. Then you get one of these weird things is what I was supposed to say. <laughs> In our most recent episode, you get to hear my six-year-old scare the shit out of me twice. Yes, you do. Yep. Um, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it really was. All righty. Y'all ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so, so much to Faith Q. <gasps> okay. I'm going to try to do this in the, in the honor, in the honor, in the style of Shel Silverstein, who I did not get nearly enough support in thinking that he's so sexy, except for our dear, dear Clint, who sent two of the hottest <laughs> pictures of any man really I have hot. ever seen in my life last night. Yeah. 
with the caption, enough said, which, yes. <laughs> God, what is it about, Shel Silverstein? I'm a homosexual woman, and why is he so hot to me? Okay, Faith W. Sorry, I got all worked no, up about Shell. Faith Q. Faith Q. Did I say W? I meant Q. Okay, I'm glad we circled back. Faith Q, it's you. She said, through and through, Faith Q, who knew about the view from the top, from where she perches. She surveys her land, then lurches, tumbles down, twirls around, does a curtsy, then begins her searches. Deep inside, what does she find? Beauty, grace, and magnetism. She Further down, she digs, she digs. And there she finds a basket of twigs. <laughs> she tries one on, becomes the boss. She dons the next. It is not lost on all around her that she is the most beautiful queen they've ever seen. The next, she's sassy. The next, she's spry. The next, she's the apple of all of our eyes. The final wig plops on her dome is the wig that takes her home. She's always there. It's deep inside. The sense of love, the sense of pride that Faith Q deserves to feel all the time. Because she's a dime, in parentheses, peace. <laughs> We love you, Faith Q, uh, you dime piece. Love you. I've never been able to work dime piece into a show that is before. Very impressive. You know, it's because Shell, Shell's inside of me, and he's the mm -hmm. old, the original dime piece. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Sarah B. Sarah B begins to trot. I'm not even going to go with B. Sarah B begins to trot. She is a thought, as the kids say, T-H-O-T, to be clear. <laughs> her, she does her tr thought trot down to the hot spot. <laughs> and once she's there, she drops it, she pops it. She stands up and she says, listen, y'all, it's Sarah B., Listen to me. I am grace. I am beauty. I am strength. I am reverberating through the time. I am having a hard time with this rhyme, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because all you need to know is that I need to take a break to do another throw of my booty into the air. <laughs> I need to snap it and pop it and remind you what's there. What's there <laughs> is my allure. What's there is my grace. What's there is my intelligence. Try to keep up the pace. I know you can't. Many have tried. They don't know what's hidden deep, deep inside <laughs> of Sarah B. The powerful Lee. Sarah B. The it, the babe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one more in me, Shell. Oh, okay. Give it to me, Shell. Yes. Give it to me, Shell. Last uh, hummala, hummala, hummala. <laughs> Channeling Shell. 
I think we should post the photos that Clint sent on this episode okay. on our okay. Instagram. I will. Yeah. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to Sasha H. Sasha H stands for hatch. What she hatches is a batch, a batch of bountiful, beautiful chicks. The chicks are thick with quirks and shticks. <laughs> she lines them up on the stage and lets them loose. The shtick is a, a presentation of Sasha's truths. Truth number one, that she is a babe. Truth number two, she never caves to the pressures of society, to the pressures of man, to the pressures of work. Truth number three, <laughs> just leave her be. She doesn't need you. She doesn't need thee. Truth number four, she's got it on lock. It's locked in her socks. It's locked in her rocks. It's locked in her. We're going to Seuss. Real yeah. My other, she's locked in her. It's locked in her talk. It's obvious when she spits her rhymes that she's the most with it. She's the most bright. She's keen. She's clever. She's a god blessed delight. Sasha is fine in the physical and emotional sense. Sasha is rich. She don't need your six pence. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha is brave. Sasha is calm. Sasha will look in your eyes and drop the bomb. Being that you can take a step back. You can take three more. She doesn't need you or your lore. She knows her truth. She's strong within it. You can get to step in. Sasha's gonna win it. Yeah! <laughs> we love you so much, Sasha. We, we love, love all you of you so, so much. much. And if you want to spend more time with us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or YouTube at They Will Kill. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com, and you can always email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate and review and subscribe to us, please. Yes, please. You can tell all your friends yeah. about our knees. Good one. <laughs> Thanks. I don't even know why I try. I would say he's got it all right. in the bag. Mm-hmm. Thank you, AJ Bergans, for your music. Thank you so much. And remember, Shell Servistein is the hottest man that's ever lived. That's all you need to know, and that's what the good word says this the week. The end. Goodbye. Yeah. Hot, hot, hot. We love you all so much. We love you so much, and we will see you then, and we will see you real soon, and we love you from then until now, until then. Until forever. Goodbye. 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 Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.